0: Welcome to the Read Optional Podcast. I am taping this on Wednesday morning and I'm joined on the line by Mark Schofield. Mark, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, Ollie. I am beyond excited to be here because it gives me a chance to talk about a team that is close to me, that is near and dear to my heart. Um, there's a lot to talk about. There's This team has been in the news the past couple of weeks now. And there are so many different storylines we can get into. Um, obviously, the huge match, the, the point they took against Manchester City uh whether Nick Pope is perhaps, you know, the best, the greatest goalkeeper in Premier League history. Uh the, the little bit of business that it seems that they're doing the, right now, uh to sign a stri- striker from um uh, Real Atletico. Uh, um uh, obviously I'm here to talk about Newcastle United. So I'm very excited to be here, Alright
0: Of course. So we first dig into Salon Ape maximum, um an all time player, one of the best one on one midfielders currently in world football. A
1: throwback
0: some suggest.
1: He is, and you know, had players looking like they were on skates, like they were on ice. I mean, I think Pope's performance against Man City—you, you, you can see the three goals. That's fair, but the timing, the courage, the fearlessness that he plays as a keeper position with—um—exciting times. The scenes at St James Park on on this weekend were just on Sunday were fantastic. So it's a it's an exciting time to be a Newcastle supporter.
0: And you're still doing okay with the Merle quagmire of
1: what that entails for you? It, it's it's tough. You know, it's it's funny, Ollie. My wife listens to the freakonomics podcast and she came in like 2 weeks ago and she was like, "This is great episode on on sports washing and and how, you know, some some countries that have sort of um shall we say rather, you know, problematic relations with the world stage, um and with what they do in terms of human rights violations are, are sort of trying to you know, make their appearances, make themselves look a little bit better via the world of sport. And obviously a lot of it was focused on, you know, golf and the lift tournament and all of that. And, and I was like, yeah. And did they mention Newcastle United at all? And she was like, yes, they did. And oh, and the light like then went on. And yeah, so that that's a little bit. of My, my phone on Sunday was filled with lots of texts from fans and supporters of other teams being like, please win this. Please take a point at least. But you're still awful, even. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Win this one no. for us, never win again. That is what. Right, happens. yeah, exactly. Right in the realm of sports watching. Like
1: win this one, but then lose the rest. <laughs> Thank you. So we are here, of
0: course, to discuss Mac Jones, the Pat's offense, um, which to me is one of the most intriguing storylines heading into the season. I don't think nationally there's quite the focus and attention on what is going on here beyond the stuff we can get into with the weird play calling situation is that just a thing about money we we can dig through through all of that but i guess we should start with we saw mac now play a preseason game and just generally where you're at with the macro as it relates to to mac jones and the pats offense
1: yeah i mean ali i think you're right that it's a not getting the attention that it kind of deserves and b you know the easy, like sort of clickbaity, low-hanging fruit is who's calling the plays, right? Because it's it's a nice, fun story. Everybody can sort of sink their teeth into it, get their shots in on whether it's Patricia, whether it's Joe Judge. That's sort of the easy one. I think there's two other, maybe even three other layers to this, which I think are more important. The first is the idea that they're sort of changing their offense, and part of that's true. Part of it's not. You know, there's been this sort of emphasis uh, in training camp and preseason games now on outside zone, wide zone, and stuff like that. That's been a part of their offense for decades. Like like, like That's been in the playbook. And even the boot action stuff off of it has been in the playbook. It's just when you have Tom Brady, you're not going to do that with him. And Dardik Skarniecki has sat down with Karen Gergion of the Boston Herald recently and said, we called it once with Brady, he got strip sacked, and we never did it again. Like, you're not running boot action with Tom Brady. You know, but this emphasis now that they're going to do some of that with Mac Jones, condensed formations, try to get separation for receivers and things like that. You know, that's something that they're working through. You know, there's also, I think, the two bigger concerns that I have. One, they've also changed the protections and how the protections are being called. You know, who's responsible for what at the line of scrimmage? And and, and talking to some of the beat writers on the ground in Foxborough now out in Vegas this weekend. That's kind of a problematic thing to me like when you have a second year quarterback that's been handling protections one way as a rookie and now you're going to switch it up before year 2 that's a problem and that it's into the sort of the next layer of this which is and we can talk about what things look like on Friday night the offensive line's a problem like right? and talking to people that have been in practices and watching this game against carolina and i'm sure you've seen this as well the offensive line is struggling you know and when you fold in some other stuff that is going on like receivers struggling to separate it's all very problematic, which leads to the final big picture. Are you putting Mac Jones in a position to be successful? No. Because this is year two. And as we've seen with some other quarterbacks, Josh Allen being perhaps the prime example, the ability to have consistency around the quarterback position is huge. You know, From play callers to scheme to all of that stuff – having consistency is huge for a young quarterback to change play call, to change protection calls, to change offensive emphasis, to change all of this stuff prior to year two is troubling. And so when you, Ollie, when you, dear listener, you know, know, scroll through Twitter and you see concern give way to panic from Patriots fans, these are the reasons why. And it goes far beyond simply who's calling the plays.
0: And we're gonna we'll run through each of those buckets as we talk here. I want to start in that general sense of what they want to do by moving the offensive system. And what's interesting to me is so for those at home, they dump a fullback, they play with a fullback last year, and the Pats were the last holdout where when you would go through some of their advanced numbers of where they were running the ball, they still use the A gaps as their main target point, right? It was lead, it was the most basic stuff. You could run. They still felt you could just punch your things through the A-gap. And this in a world where defenses are moving to... Everything's about the B-gap bubble, right? We're playing with bare fronts. So it almost felt like a nice zig against the rest of the league. Now they say, we want to be a move offense. They are more consistently moving the target point. And that's where the emphasis on the wide zone is, is they want to be a movement-based offense where they're slashing and kicking more with the running back, and where they can move the pocket a bit more, where they feel like they can help Jones. So I guess the thing for me is... Is that the best way to use Mac Jones? And is that the best way to shift your system when the whole league is evolving to try and take away a whole bunch of that stuff? Where is the heavy RPO stuff from Alabama? Why did they not just pick up more of that from the gun, read it and get rid of it stuff that he had at Alabama? Why are they unnecessarily complicating it for a guy in year two?
1: Yeah, those are all great questions. And, you know, it seems very un Because I remember four years ago, three years ago, as we've seen this sort of move league-wide to athleticism, speed, you know, kick and slash and things like that in the run game, you know, outside zone, wide zone, getting guys in space, the move to the bare fronts, the move to almost sort of the Iowa State, you know, three safety defense, right, where you're trying to push everything to the outside and then let speed take over. A lot of people, myself included, and I know you've delved into this as well, thought Belichick's going to go completely the other direction, right? He's going to stay heavy eye formation. You might see flex bowling from him. You might see triple option. Like he's going to get heavy. He's going to stick with fullbacks. He's going to go in the absolute, because that's what Belichick and the Patriots have done over the years, right? Exploit market inefficiencies. If everybody's getting fast and light and trying to emphasize the edges, he's going to go the other direction, go heavy, pound you on the A-gaps like you said. So this move away from that idea is curious because it's un-Belichickian. It could be a nod, in a sense, to questions they have at the receiver room, right? One of the benefits of sort of that McVay-Shanahan tree, condensed formations, bunches, and things like that, is you might manufacture separations. Watching this offense right now, when guys are sort of spread out and asked to win one-on-ones, they're not really doing it. Like, Devontae Parker isn't really doing it right now, at least on film. You know, Tyquan Thornton had some moments. Now he's out with a collarbone injury. Kobe Myers and some of these other guys... It's more separation by scheme, and this might be a nod to that. But, of course, the way you framed it is the ultimate question. Is this the right offense for Mac Jones? Can he run boot action? Can he run wide zone and move the pocket? Sure. Is it, like, top two, three offensive systems that I'd want to see Mac Jones in? No, it's not. Like, I'd rather see him more spread, more quick game, getting the ball out, gripping it it from the pocket, three-step, five-step stuff, one-step gun stuff, you know, the RPO stuff is a very curious question because he ran a ton of it at Alabama. The numbers speak for themselves. And what's even more curious about that, when they went RPO or when they went play action at Alabama, a lot of the stuff they did was to attack downfield. You know, he would go play action and attack you downfield. He's very comfortable doing that. For an offense that needs to generate explosive plays, for an offense that faces so many questions about can you get the ball downfield? Why not cater to that? You know, maybe they're going to try to do this in this new system. But when you have protection woes, when you have a system that maybe it's not the ideal fit for the quarterback, it's just raising more questions than answers.
0: And the thing for me is, if you're going to play that style, it just feels two years too late to make that switch. Yeah. I mean, it's still a great offense by design, but you just. Uh, Almost all offenses are good by design, unless you're Ben McAdoo, right? Right, right. Just getting on the right evolutionary timetable of the league. And it just feels like, really, guys, maybe you should have done this this year and then moved to last year's offense this year. And that is the the strange thing to me. I have a more macro uh, discussion I wanted to have with you about Jones in general, that archetype of quarterback. Now, he's more mobile, as everyone says, than he's often given credit for. He's, a, he's kind of the new style of what would be a Brady-esque quarterback. But right. it's how much can you win in 2022 where they hit the back foot, get the ball out quarterback, who is not Tom Brady, right? Um, I saw Ben Fennell today posted this, these unbelievable um, the quarterback landmarks. From the guys in the championship games, the guys who made it to the, the four championship games last year and all the other three guys, it's all over the field, right? These are all off script creators. It's um, you run on down the line and Josh Allen Mahomes, those guys can make plays outside the pocket. Brady's is right in line. It's between the two guards. That guy does not move. That's the greatest of all time, right? So how replicable is it for you to say, can Mac Jones play that way in 2022? And then you get to the question of, well, can Mac Jones in that setup be a, a, second phase quarterback by undulating and moving in the pocket which i think is actually a strength of his um and how much of it is it rolling and moving i'd rather just put him in the gun and say hey man don't you don't have to move outside from the tackles it can be stick slide climb and just maneuver yourself in there we don't really have to roll you just to try and get some movement into the offense
1: yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, this is something the Patriots fans have sort of discussed, and, you know, the media has worked through last season when they drafted him this season now with this sort of offensive emphasis is in today's NFL, can the more pocket quarterback still win? You know, it's a fascinating question. Yeah, you know, I'd be curious to see that same graph from Ben, which is fantastic, from last season, because I think the model that Patriots fans are kind of handing their hand on right now is Joe Burrow, you know, who's similar – I think he's probably a tiny bit more athletic than Mac Jones, but he's not Mahomes. He's not Allen. Like he, he's somebody that you know he can create a little bit with his legs, but you know they're not running that kind of offense for him. You know they're going empty. They're going five wide. They're letting him pick his spots before the snap. And I think that's the kind of system that I think Jones is better suited for. And I think that gets you to where you need to be if you're going to have the more pocket style quarterback in today's NFL. You need to manufacture space and spread and athleticism pre snap via formation, rather than post snap via what you're doing schematically with the quarterback and moving the pocket. Like, can you still win with a Mac Jones with a Joe Burrow? Yeah, you can do that. And in a way, it's it's sort of a a Ziggs versus zag kind of thing, you know, like we've talked about. But I do think that with Jones, letting him win with his mind. And just say, look, we're going to have a pocket for you. Move as need be, because he's very good at creating space with his feet. You know, but win with your mind pre-snap, whether win with moving you around the pocket post-snap. It's just a better fit for him from where I view this offense and from where I view Matt Jones. To his credit, you know, if you think back to the pre-draft process, Ollie, with Matt Jones, it was, you know... He's not that athletic. He's a statue back there. He doesn't really move. How can you win with a guy like that in today's NFL? I think he's shown that he's more athletic than that. How much more? That remains to be seen. Is it athletic enough to run this kind of system, to rely on that? I don't think so. And
0: the big thing is, if you're going to say, we're going to be empty and we're playing from the pocket, you've got to be blitzproof. Gotta be blitz Yeah, that's the problem right now. Joe Burrow entirely blitz proof, and everyone by NC's that oh shit we can't blitz Joe, right? And you probably have to have jamar Chase on the outside. Big, big, big point where you can just do the bleep it ball down the field, right. and the guy comes down with it. That's not where Mac Jones is at. And what it reminds me of, and that's it's no shame, and we can kind of dig through some tears and stuff if we want to as we go through. He, I see him very close to cousins, and I do wonder what that level is. Cousins for a number of years awful versus the blitz particularly terrible versus perimeter blitzes some of the worst numbers in the league now as they went more spread in minnesota the last two years when cousins in the gun they had a crazy in the gun it was empty right whenever they're in the gun they're in empty to try and reveal blitzes for for kirk which is a smart coaching move but it still limits you because you get into that bouncing back and forth between two offenses situation where you're in real trouble so mac jones would have to become an elite player versus the brits in congested spaces right in those condensed formations right. will he be able to kill the blitz and that was his big issue last year you go through the tennessee film where he played out of his mind in the tennessee game last year whenever they bring perimeter pressure even from spread looks no clue where he's looking. Absolutely no idea where he's looking. So that that is the the big question mark for me with him. If you're going to be the guy who plays from the pocket, I have no problem with that. Totally fine. You don't necessarily need second reaction stuff to come from playing on the move, Russell Wilson style. It would just be the Brady. You slip and slide in the pocket. You buy yourself an extra beat, and you get the ball out. Mac Jones is not that guy, and maybe he can get there. It's, you know, it's only been one year. You would hope by year two, year three, that can happen. But it has to happen fast to be able to move when they're moving so much on defense in 2022.
1: Yeah. And, you know, one of the things coming out of Alabama that, you know, I sort of hung my hat on when saying, look, he could still make this work in the NFL was when he was ahead of it with his mind, when he could see a blitz coming, when he could diagnose a pre-snap and was sure it was coming and knew they didn't have it blocked up, that gave him a head start on getting away from it. There was a great example of that early against Notre Dame where he saw that cross blitz coming. He knew they weren't going to protect it. So as soon as he got the snap, he started to bail the pocket to the left, got him ahead of that blitz. When you watch the Tennessee game from last year, when you watch, I think an even better example is Atlanta with Dean Pease. And Pease knows their offense. He knows their protections inside and out. He did a lot of different stuff where Jones thought that he had it blocked up, thought it was protected, one of these perimeter blitzes. But because Pease knows their protection schemes, like he found ways to attack it. And Jones isn't at the point right now where he can just assume that it's blocked up and ignore it. Like, he still has to get to the point, and this has been a huge thing in, in training camp, where he can take that extra half second, take his eyes off the passing concept, and confirm that it truly is protected backside, protected on the edges. He's not there yet. And part of that is just experience, reps, like, playing time. Like, it takes time as a quarterback to feel comfortable enough to take your eyes off what's happened in the secondary, just to give it that cursory half second glance, backside or frontside or wherever that pressure is coming from, to make sure that – Your expectations that things are getting blocked up are true. Jones isn't there yet. Until he gets there, there are going to be these problems against the blitz. And when you add in the fact that the offensive line is struggling right now, now guys have been in and out of the lineup and, you know, wins been out, hasn't played much. Now rumors that he's going to be traded. That also adds another layer of how are we going to protect this guy? Is this the right system? Can we cover the blitz? Can he handle the blitz? Again, there's a lot going on right now, and you can understand why Patriots fans don't have the warm and fuzzies this August.
0: And the thing is, you want to be blitzed. This Blitz is great. Yeah, and send extra guys. I can get the ball out. We're all we're all having a good time. If your offensive line is in trouble, and now they're dropping guys out, and everyone's bailing, it just makes life that bit, bit harder. When, as we'll rattle on here, we'll go through the weapons, and it just ain't there for them to win. One-on-one across the board, or at least have two guys pop at once, unless you're doing it through play design, which means you're probably going to have to, way well, you do have to get congested, particularly if they're in this too deep world. I've been talking about this a lot recently of, right. you have to do the double switch. you got to switch to the line of scrimmage, You've got to re-switch down the field. you got to get to your scissors concept, having already crisscrossed to try and muddy up what's happening with the safeties, particularly if they're moving. That takes time. Yeah. Same thing that's going to happen in Green Bay. All sounds great, right? They're getting really, they're getting really close. It's kind of a smash-mouth spread. We're going all gap scheme-oriented. Then we're going to spread it out, double switches. Okay, yeah, do you have the time? <laughs> the interior of that line sucks. So yeah. That is a real problem for them. I actually found some really interesting numbers with Jones that I wanted to get your thoughts on. So when he threw uh, with less than 2.5 seconds last year, right, he had an 80.9% on target rate from PFF, right? And he was one of the best in the league. Getting rid of the ball, getting it down the field quickly. He averaged 7.1 yards per attempt and his passer rating was top three in the league. That is unbelievable. That is the Brady offense, right? Get it, rip it, I know where I'm going with the ball. When he actually had more time, his on target rate dropped to 67%. He had negative EPA. So we're talking about him like how can we find a way in this new world to play in a second reaction style offense, to move, to create a little bit by himself outside of the structure necessarily or buy himself more time for these slower development concepts. And that's when he was worse. When he had more time, he got worse. It's a strange oxymoron. He wants to play, like you said, Alabama, read one guy and go. If that's a third level RPO, second level RPO, quick hitting play action where it's just a flash fake and rip it, that's the world he wants to be in. Why are they building him more? Turn the back to the defense, set, rescan. It's. Maybe he can do it, and maybe in four years he'll be unbelievable at it. For the guy who he is right now, it's strange that they're pushing it so much. They did this right to start of last year, right? They dumped the entire 07 playbook on him and said, go figure out, <laughs> go figure out. Hopefully by week six you got it. It's a yep. really strange way to develop a quarterback.
1: It is a strange way. I mean, it, it, and part of it might be a, a, you know, a nod to how they feel about Jones, that they can put whatever they want on his plate and he's going to be able to handle it. But I'm firmly of the mind that, look, you know, when you get a young quarterback, you go back to his college coach, his high school coach, his Pop Warner coach. And we've talked about this Ollie. What did he like to run? Like, what did he like to run when he was 10, 12, 15, 17, 20 and do that to do this? I mean, maybe this is where he ran in Pop Warner. I doubt it, you know. And so to do this with him, to take him. Into a scenario where as you ran through the numbers there, it's eye pop and they speak for themselves. Like when he either has more time or creates more time with his feet a little bit, then you crater You know, when he's gripping it and ripping it, that's where you want to be. And when you have the weapons, quote unquote weapons that they have, you probably want to be in that world where you're getting things out quickly, you're taking advantage of something that you're seeing either pre-snap or immediately after the snap. Put those guys in a position to get yardage after the catch because I I think guys like Myers and Aguilar and Thornton, when he's healthy, you know, even Parker with his size and strength, like that's where they want to be conceptually. At least that's where you should be, but that's not what they're doing. Now, there's also, you know, uh, some Patriots fans have sort of theorized that this is a nod to the, the landscape of the NFL in 2022 in the sense that you look around the AFC, there's a lot of really good teams. You know, maybe making a play, maybe this is a more forward thinking two and three years down the road. It's going to take some time to figure this out, to establish this, to get this ironed out. So we're going to put this in now. Maybe we limp to 10 and 7, you know, 9 and 8, something like that. Maybe we're in the playoffs. Maybe we're not. But in year two of this offensive system, that's when we're going to be great. That's when maybe the other teams aren't going to be as good. I don't know if that's what they're doing, but it might make some sense.
0: Yeah, to me, it would make sense if it was something radically
1: new and different.
0: As yeah, but it's not. Let's go run. What Let's all go run is the triple option. option. Let's, Let's run. go
1: run, you know, the flex bone. Like something wildly, again, the stuff we sort of talked about at the beginning where we thought, oh, Belichick's really going to zig rather than zag, right?
0: Can we just flash back quickly to last season to bring the listeners up to date on what they were doing for him last season? So they, as I said, they made things, I thought, unnecessarily hard for him. where They dumped every single thing on his plate. Then he's working with all these receivers who could not separate from man coverage. The margin of error for him was so small. And yet you rattle through the figures or the tape. And he was comfortably the best rookie. He finished 11th in the RB uh, you know, whatever it is, EPA, CPO, composite, whatever that one is that is yep. the best quarterback stuff. Eighth over the second half of the season. And then there was this kind of dynamic coming out. Well, he's helped by the run game. He gets the ball out really quick. He finished it ahead of Stafford, Allen, Herbert, Brady, Mahomes, Rodgers, and Ayard's. He was pushing it whenever he had an opportunity to push it because that's what, as you said, that's what he wants to do. The guy wants to trigger really fast and let the thing rip downfield. He's used to having those Alabama guys streaking wide open at practice, wide open on Saturdays, and oh, here I go, 25-yard bombs down the field within two seconds of the snap. What can they keep from last season, do you think, or what is essential they keep from last season that they do carry over to this year because he had operated it so well?
1: You know, I think some of their core, core concepts, you know, w- when you look at what they've done this year, some of their vertical stuff, you know, the, the, the play to Aguilar on Friday night, vertical, you know, Seattle, you know, three by one, the you know, four verts, um, the play action crosser stuff to the tight end, you know, it it was tough for him to get chemistry with receivers last year, obviously, you know, because you're a rookie, you're coming in, Ken Newton's still on the roster at the start of the training camp. And so, you know, he's running with the twos and the threes, but he did have a relationship with Hunter Henry and, you know, as far as sort of the play action designs that work for them, that look literally, you know, we've seen it so many times from New England, right? Front side fake, hit that crosser, working away from the flow of the play. Like they hit that so many times, hit it a bunch against the Chargers, for example, in the regular season. You know, that's the kind of stuff that still works for him, you know? And again, when he was at Alabama, when they went play action, he wanted to go downfield. You can still do that, you know, whether it's, you know, you mentioned third level RPOs, you can do some some of that stuff. You can sort of look at just basic shot plays downfield, right? Patriots playbook is filled with shot plays and it's filled with notations that we will call shot plays five or six times a game, even if they don't work, just to stress defenses, give defenses something to think about. And of course, the impact of that, even if you don't hit on those, is you might create some two safety deep looks. You might create some opportunities for then stuff underneath where you want to live. And so that's the stuff that I thought they would be emphasizing now maybe they decide to scrap this maybe you know skarnecki has said that he's like look if we get through joint practices with the panthers with the raiders they might decide that look it's not working we're going to stick with what works judging on reports out of you know las vegas from tuesday ollie they might be there i mean you know whether it was andrew callahan phil perry anybody who was at practices they were just saying look during this team session, they had five runs. All five had stuffed to the line screen. You know, they were like Mac was one of four throwing the football with like three bad pass breakups because nobody can separate. We're getting to that decision point for this offense where either they decide to stick with it, or maybe they just scrap it and go back to the stuff that worked from last year.
0: The thing that I think is in their mind. So Jones's most targeted routes last year were outs crosses and hitches okay everyone has crosses in their top three right the outs and the hitches are isolation routes and okay they brought in Devonte parker giant body yeah. getting the post up throwing the ball that makes sense with that they just don't have the the players to separate one-on-one so you're running an offense there where three of your top of your go-to targeted routes don't really fit the personnel so that makes some sense i mean i actually thought last season his best throws were the post in the corner. you move into this two deep world and it's two to one you've got to try and find a way to rip it through the middle of the the two right or as one bails in you're bending it out it's going to be a dagger world it's going to be bender out it's going to be throwing the corner and i actually think his biggest strength is anticipation right when he is anticipating a throw whether it's predefined or he just says i'm going with it that's when as we said with the numbers before he's at his best and he is to me and you go through all these guys every single snap. That's what Mark Schofield does. He's the quarterback guru. I, this might be too niche for some people. I really believe it. I think he's the best young thrower of the corner route that's come into the league for a long, long time. He loves it because he wants to push down the field, as we've said, and he wants to get rid of it really fast. And that's the idea with the corners. You're looping it and dropping it because you know there's a landmark and you know your guy's going to get it based on the leverage of the safety. So why is that not just the offense? And I don't I know. Get- what what they're doing is getting condensed to get that stuff out, right? To rub off it and get to that stuff. That makes sense to me, but I, I just don't know if they have, as you're saying, if they're or if they've gone into a preseason saying, well, we might just ditch this. That, that makes so little sense to me. It's almost like they want to get to the passing game so badly, they feel they have to acquiesce to this style of run game, which I don't think is necessarily true.
1: No, it's not. And... You know, especially like we talked about earlier, if the world is living in that realm, you don't have to be there. You know, you and, you know, the emphasis on outside zone, wide zone, like you look at their game against Carolina, a lot of their stuff was inside zone, tight zone to sort of start that game. When they got with the twos, when they got with the threes later in the second half, you saw more wide zone. You know, maybe that's a nod that, look, it might be more emphasized, but it's not going to be all of it. You know, to their credit, the Patriots' offense, like in the run game, tends to be more diverse than most other teams. Like they do a lot of different stuff conceptually: zone, man, gap, power, outside, inside, tight, whatever. You know, maybe it's just going to be look. We're going to try to set some stuff up with wide zone on early downs. Maybe it's not always going to be there, but we want to have the ability to at least rely on that with boot action stuff off of it. It's not going to be all we do. It's going to be a fraction of what we do. You know, maybe that's the the idea here. Now, the the corner route. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. It's the toughest route to throw in football. Like, and I say this as somebody that threw so many interceptions on the corners. Like every time I saw it with that corner squatted, I thought I could get it over his head, and I never could. Like it was just a hard route to throw. Jones throws it extremely well. Lawrence throws it extremely well. But it's not easy. And if you've got that club in the bag, rely on it. Like, you can certainly do it out of condensed formations. You can do it off of boot action. Yeah, sure. But you know The ability to have that throw, to be able to make it the way Jones does, to be able to make it the way Lawrence does. I'm actually going to write about Lawrence of the out route, the corner route a little bit later. It's a great thing to have. And if you've got a quarterback that could do that, build on that. Because it's – especially, as you said, if we're in this too high world, you've got the leverage built into the play to take advantage of.
0: And that's where you say, okay, that's what our quarterback does best. That's where we should build – a decent portion, let's say 15, 70% of our shot plays this year, let's make sure that's in the book, right? To do it out of a moving boot is you're dragging everyone to the space.
1: It makes yeah. sense to me. That That's the thing of just like. And you're the- making it a tougher throw. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, try, if you're a right handed thrower of the football, friends, go outside, grab a football, start rolling to your left, and then try to make a throw, even if it's a five yard hitch. It's hard to do. Now, you know, maybe you're going to flow everything to the right to cater to his right-handedness, but again, you're condensing the field. Like, you're taking the field. And you're dragging
0: those in. safeties, you know, they're reading it and rolling back, so they're rolling into the space, so you're, again, the margin of error is tied to so what you want to do is catch them in a two-to-one situation so that the guy stood in the middle of the field as you break out. That's... Yeah, that's the ideal. Right. And now, you play at that side of the field by having someone flash across. You hope it's you are hoping it's one robber. The robber watches the guy fly past him and you've dragged the corner to the middle of the field, basically.
1: Now, maybe you're going to set up burner, right, which is where you've got that corner that turns back and flows away from it. You need Justin Herbert to do that. Right. Like I remember John Johnson, you know, when they ran burner against the Browns last year and Johnson was like, there's no way he's going to throw this post work it away from him. And of course, Herbert can hit that throw. Jones, that's not a club that he has. That's not a throw that he can make. So, yeah, let him sit from the pocket and make that corner route throw. Don't cut the field in half. Bring all the attention to the route you're trying to throw and then make it a lot tougher for him to do mechanically because he's trying to do it on the move.
0: One thing that makes me think they do want to live in this world, other than that they're just they're doing it, but this idea of maybe they could just flip back. You know, I've been running through a ton of their stuff the last ten days to write about all this. The way they used motion last year, when it was involved in their run game, was a decoy. It was to try and get someone flashing one way, and they they used gap and power ton. gap, for the listeners, that's just pulling and moving alignment, essentially. And you're aiming for the gap. The gap is the target point, rather than the running back reading it, as in zone. The mo- motion man would fly away from the puller. So the puller comes back in towards where the motion man goes. You hope the eyes go one way, the rapper goes the way, right? Classic Patriots football. This year in the preseason, no Jones involved. They've not done this with Jones yet, but it's in the offense now, and they've done it four times, right? The The motion man The wrapper is flowing the same direction as the motion man. That's what the Rams do, right? And that's because the Rams want their receivers to block. That tells me they have had meetings, discussions, that that is now a function of the run game because they are expecting these guys to be in tight splits and they're expecting them to block. Now, everyone expects all their receivers to block. But there is a real difference in culture, in emphasis, in practice time if you're saying you are a core part now of the run game because we're aiming for the gaps you have to clear it out it's not you just flashing with your speed and we're hoping to move eyes you really have to block the thing for us to be effective in our power game i, I, I just I, show me the players they they line up i think it was taekwon thought in the backfield as an insert blocker. i are they examining the, the body types of the players they have
1: It's interesting that they would make this move and then trade away their best block and receiver, Nikhil Harry, and say whatever you want about Nikhil Harry as a receiver. He was a very good blocker in the run game for them. So much of what they did last year, crack toss, it was Harry that was taken on linebackers. It was taken on defensive ends at times. I thought if you were going to make this emphasis, the guy that you'd want as that sort of insert blocker as a receiver at the point of attack would be Harry. And they traded up to Chicago. I look at Aguilar, I look at Thornton, who now has a fractured collarbone, uh, Jacoby Myers, who's got, like, he puts effort behind it, but I just don't see it. It just doesn't make sense to me. So
0: I want to get into that stuff you were saying earlier about the protection stuff and just Jones's command of the offense. So, they are not using a center to reset things for him, right? It is all Mac Jones doing all the work, and they are back into the Brady protection system of perfect every time, right? Are they they are no longer doing five six man, and let's just get on with the game.
1: Yeah, I mean that that's what what I've seen and what I've been told. Like first of all, they always run the protection through the quarterback, like you know they're they're one of the few teams that do it that way. A lot of teams involve the center. The Colts for years with Jeff Saturday and Peyton Manning. You know, involve in the center in it. It's on the quarterback. They want the quarterback to have command of it. You go through their playbook. It's all in the QB's lap. Now, there are calls that can be, can be made between the tackles on the edges, like squeeze calls and things like that, where, you know, if you've got a front, if you've got somebody bugged down or things like that, they have to sort that out. But it starts with the quarterback. You know, it starts with the mic point. It starts with all that stuff. You know, and to change sort of what they're doing and how that gets called and things like that again in year two is problematic, but you're right in sort of the emphasis here and it gets us to the idea of, you know, are you going to go, if you're going to try to sort of create rubs and things like that, do you have the time to do that with the guys that you have right now?
0: And I understand and admire the idea with the protections because the only downfall of the Shanahan, McVeigh system, which is where they're trying to pinch more of these elements, right, is that it's too dogmatic protection wise because they don't really care because they yeah. think they can beat it no matter what. Senders in charge. We've got about nine protections. Everyone knows the protections anyway. Who cares? That's basically the way those big those guys look at it big picture. It, it is nice to say, well, if there's an issue, we'd like to be able to correct it. That's, you know, that's that's the ideal. I just feel like it's an awful lot for a second-year guy who has so much of the stuff going on. And I think it limits you when you come to saying, okay, if we're going to do a bunch of option football, a bunch of pre-snap kills, it's a lot for one guy to think about rather than just having the center do it for him.
1: And and I don't know if he is that guy or not. Yeah, I mean, again, it sort of gets us to the idea that maybe they think so highly of Jones from that aspect, from the workload they can put on him pre-snap, that they think he can handle this as well. Um, It's just a lot. It's a a lot of moving targets, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of changes to put on a young quarterback's lap. If they had done piecemeal, right? Like If they had done, okay, we're going to change the offensive emphasis. It's going to be a lot more wide zone, outside zone, but we're going to keep everything else kind of the same. And then maybe the next year you alter how you're doing protections. That would make more sense to me to do it all wholesale just seems like you're asking for trouble
0: so i'm going to come to the question that has to be asked the plays, because that matters the sequencing the plate calling some of the reports are that the only reason they, they didn't they, they haven't officially given patricia the title of oc right he's got a strange offensive assistant title is purely to get out of uh, the lions have to pay patricia's contract if he's not a coordinator essentially and yep. so not calling him a coordinator means the Lions are paying his contract. Classic Belichickian stuff. I don't know why he's trying to save Robert Kraft that money he makes not his money, makes no sense. The valuations like seven billion on the franchise right, at the moment. Right. A, a bit of a strange one to me, but you know, Belichick's gonna do Belichick. Maybe Kraft said he could have another boat if he if he saves the cash. Is that your reading of things? And Patricia's doing it, or there's some I mean, if you go through a Patriots Reddit board, which I don't recommend and I've not done, I am already picturing QAnon levels of who is the play caller? And there's a lot of talk that Bill is wants to do it on Sundays. And if not do it, at least be involved in, a, in the conversation as he is anyway on the headset. But to have final approval more so than ever before, that it's going to be more of a collaborative approach. And Bill wants to call plays, but they don't want to say Bill is calling plays.
1: Yeah, I mean, look. Belichick himself kind of opened the door to that this week when he talked about how, look, ultimately, everything that happens on both sides of the ball, including the offense, of course, runs through me. I'm the ultimate decision maker here. And he sort of opened the door to that. You know, I, I've heard a lot and read a lot about, you know, the idea that they don't have to pay all Patricia's full vote because he's not a coordinator. And, yeah, there's technical truth to that. It's also important to remember in '08 when McDaniels left to coach Denver, Bill O'Brien had the same titles that Joe Judge did you know, senior offensive assistant, quarterbacks coach, but he was the one calling the plays. They, this is the way they do it. Look on the defensive side of the ball. They don't have a defensive coordinator, right? It's They got Ger- Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick are both linebacker coaches. One of them's calling the defensive plays. This is just kind of the way they do it. They make them, it, it, I, I made it the comparison to, if you're a freshman at Ohio State, you don't get the stripe on your helmet until you've earned it. You know, that's kind of how the Patriots treat their coaches, which is, You know, maybe a little immature and childish, but like they don't give you that title. Bill O'Brien didn't get an offensive coordinator title until two years later, you know, and he was calling the plays. And so, you know, I think Belichick's going to have input here, whether he's ultimately the decision maker or whether it's just Patricia and he's chiming in, you know, that remains to be seen. But whoever's calling the plays, they're going to have to earn that title of offensive coordinator. And this is where it gets finicky when you wrap
0: it into the entire pie, right, is and I understand why it's such a big discussion. Is people just want to go, that's the play call, so I can say that's wrong or dumb on Sunday right. if it's a bad play. I don't care who calls the plays. I, Bill Belichick can call all the plays in the world. He probably does call all the plays on both sides of the ball, and we don't even know it. And when he had Tom Brady, Brady could change if he wanted to. That's probably how the whole thing worked. Because usually the head coach says that on the headset because he's saying, I'm saying, either saying we're taking a shot, or you know he's not calling the specific plays, calling kind of the...
1: Blitz him here, take a shot, run it here, stuff like that. And then, yeah. And pick whichever is your preferred in the spot.
0: If he's calling the specifics of the play, that's a lot for one guy to have to do on Sundays with everything else he's got going on. Because I think he does call the defensive plays and he certainly calls the checks from the sideline. I can't imagine one coach calling both sides the ball for each specific play. I mean, if anyone can, maybe it's him. But it goes back to this thing of if you wanted to change the offense to this quite radically, why did he not go and get someone with experience, at least calling it on Sundays and put them on the staff. Why do all the, it's just doing the seven things at once, right? It's changing the protections. It's not having the receiving core. It's changing the blocking mechanics. Is, did you have to do all seven at once? If you had just kept the offense as was and allowed Judge Patricia, who'd been in that building before, know the offense as well as anyone. Those guys cross-train coming through the ranks, right? They They all know everyone's job that makes sense. If you go and get a specialist to help with some of this stuff, that makes sense. If you do none of those things but change the blocking mechanics, that makes sense. Uh, to do it all at once, you know, he's the greatest coach of all time, knows a ton more than us, maybe we're going to be here you know, putting him on our shoulders saying this is a genius move by Belichick. It does feel like a, a lot to do in one offseason.
1: Yeah, it, it and it brushes up against, Ollie, some of the uh, you could always term it palace intrigue that's going on in New England right now. Because In the back of every Patriots fan's mind is the idea of, you know, the succession plan. What happens when Belichick decides to step away? And one of the knocks on Belichick, both Belichick, the general manager and Belichick, the head coach in recent years, is he sort of surrounded himself with yes men. You know, he surrounded himself with people who are going to sort of go along with what he wants to do. And now we've got this idea that, as we just talked about, maybe he's calling plays on both sides of the ball. You know, that's a lot for one man to take on when you've got – All the other decisions you're going to make as a head coach during a game. And, you know, if you're going to move to this offense, why not get somebody that's got a PhD in this kind of offense? Why go with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge other than they're guys that have worked for you before and you know them and they're probably going to go along with what you want to do. It's, again, we're going down sort of a psychological palace intrigue, House of the Dragon, King Lair kind of road here. But it's hard to ignore. It matters matters as
0: much because it's not just the the succession plan. It's the, you know, it's the everyone left. Yeah. It's not just the McDaniels left. Everyone in the building walked out on him. Not everyone, but an unbelievable amount that never happens to him, right? It's, It's kind of an unwritten rule. You leave, you don't pinch from the staff. It's often why a lot of those guys fail. Because you do not come back and take his guys, right? It's part of the the contract when he gives you the glowing call to the other owner to get you the job. Do not be returning and pinching at least the high-end assistants. Right. He lost all those undercard guys, right? They all followed McDaniels to Vegas. Good ones. Guys, true position coaches. Uh, Ivan Fiss... Okay, we're going to change our, our blocking mechanics, going to change our, our run scheme. I would like to have Fizz in the building. He's been here, uh, you know, since the franchise was incepted. <laughs> yeah. he's He retires after, what was it, 20 odd years, 23 years, something like Scar-neck-ia. that? Skarnakia. Skarnakia, gone. So it, it's not, that it's another thing to just pile on the top of. It's quite clear that he is absorbing it all himself, which he is the best ever, but he had the best setup underneath him, and the most stable setup underneath him. And to change the scheme... I would want to have it settled underneath me to do both at once is I think why we're seeing, you know, the practice time is so limited. And the reason they're clubbing their heads against the wall in practice, they're trying to learn too much.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you're reminded of that great moment with Saban and Belichick from that HBO series, where they talked about this. So they're like, look, go get your job. That's great. Don't take my guys out from under me. Belichick's dealing with a lot of brain drain right now. And when you're trying to change things to the extent that they are, Doing that in the midst of brain drain is also problematic. Again, I I, I reiterate, Ollie, no Patriots fans has warm and fuzzies right now. There is a lot of moving parts here. None of it seems to be good. And the other thing to remember is, you know, Belichick has traditionally treated the first four games of the season as sort of an extended training camp and preseason, right? Look around. You don't have time to do that. You don't have time to start this year two and two and think you're going to keep pace with Buffalo, who people think might go 15-2. and Like You don't have time. Like This has to be done. And I think that might get us to the Skarniecki idea of they'll scrap it if they need to because you don't have the time to sort it out in the regular season. It's not like 2007, right, where you look around the AFC East and you've got probably six winnable games or at least four winnable games you can count on going into the regular season. Not this year. Not with this AFC. Not with this AFC East.
0: Let's talk specifically about the preseason games then before we wrap up on, on Jones and the Pats. We've had all the talk of the rough practices. Then we see Mac Jones play. He looked really rusty. Now, we won't know if it's rust or there's a bigger issue until we see the, the real games. Um, those two first two drives, really, really rough. Missing the quick out, getting the sack, whiffing on the, the Parker throw, throwing it behind him. The preseason is pointless, except for Desmond Ritter. Well, Ritter is really good. He <laughs> that, looks that, fantastic. He looks amazing. Um, the offense was supposed to have these two new uber athletes: Devontae Parker, big guy can run fast; Tyquan Thornton, quickest guy in the NFL. Right, that was the plan. Push back the coverage, roast man coverage. That was the plan. They don't look as athletic as I think they should do on the field. If you're gonna run to a move offense, it's all crosses, it's all catch and go on the move, it's moving the pocket, it's a slash and kick run game. You've got to look like great athletes. You watch the, You put the 49ers on, they look more athletic than everyone else, even when they're losing games. The Rams, they look more athletic than everyone else. I watched this Pats team, and I love some of the pieces. I think it's interesting to have Kendrick Bourne and Devontae Parker. I think Ty Montgomery, the reload motion stuff with him, maybe a few years too late, but it's at least interesting. Thornton, really interesting. Now he's injured. I don't see the athleticism, which was the giant issue last year, and they moved to an offense that requires them to be more athletic.
1: Yeah. And you you look at some of these plays from the Carolina game. It's like, you know, the third and seven, the check down to Stevenson that falls incomplete because he kind of misses it. There's nobody open. Like, you know, it's kind of a levels with crossers. you you expect those athletes to take over. Nobody's open. Like that first sack on the third and four and the, the first drive you've got stick front side, you've got a backside Y ISO go route. It's too high. The backside go routes open to the tight end. He doesn't have time, you know, because he's got you know, the center, it's it's a rain mug look, right? And you've written a lot about this. You know, the center, you know, he opens to his left. That guy pops. The guy on the right comes and just buries the right guard, and he's in Jones' lap. Like, he doesn't have the time to do it. So you've got guys that can't separate. You've got no time to make these throws. And I, I've talked a lot about how, you know, as a quarterback, when you start taking hits, you know, you speed things up. Placement struggles. Like, you, you're going to miss throws when you're speeding things up and when you're under pressure, and that's what you're – sort of seeing. The offense finally looked good, you know, midway through the second when Hoyer was in there and they're playing against the twos and the threes. Like you saw a dagger, you saw some hot stuff, you saw some stuff that actually worked. That's against guys that you're not going to be playing against on Sundays. So, I mean, the issues that we've talked about, you can see them on film Friday night where they couldn't get protection, they couldn't get separation. And Jones really sort of struggled when he didn't have time.
0: And it's another one that returns to trying to do too much at once. Back to the Skarneki point you were making of... If they were only doing one of these changes, you can ditch something. If you change the holistic model of how you've done all of training camp and then tried to revert back to what you did before. A lot of these guys haven't been in the building either, by the way. Yeah. So they've just learned this. Off. It's not like you can just tell them, oh, let's get last year's playbook and let's go back to that. A lot of these guys weren't doing that either. So right. th- the offense they've learned in New England right now, there's a crossover across the entire league. If they've played elsewhere, they can, they can pick it up pretty quickly. But it's-, it's just going to be different. You know, Joe Burrow, when he came to league, they wanted to run this style of system, and his offensive line was so bad, he said, fuck that, I'm never turning my back to a defense in the NFL, I'll get killed. Yeah. Given how bad that offensive line is b there is just no way you can run in on week one and say, hey, Mac, how about you turn your back to the defense 12 times?
1: That's That would just make no sense. Yeah, it does, and you saw what... You know, the Bengals and Taylor didn't response. They went empty. They went five wide. They said, look, you're going to have to fix this on your own, Burrow. We don't have the time to protect you. I'm curious to see, you know, when Burrow's back, what that offense looks like this year or some of the improvements they made on the offensive line. Maybe we see less of that and more of what they wanted to be. But I think right now in New England, when you have these protection problems, when you have these issues, when you have some inconsistency in picking up blitzes and things like that, why you're going to condense things and turn your back to the defense to have your quarterback do that is beyond me.
0: And the thing with Burrow is they ripped all that stuff out and the offense was gross. Yeah, They telegraphed their entire playbook, essentially, except for the empty stuff. And there's only so much you can run from empty. Everyone loves empty. There's only so much you can do. That's the only thing they didn't telegraph, is the one that's probably the easiest to pick up, right? And he had Jamar Chase. It's like, you just cannot overlook the fact that so much of that offense I mean, that was not an efficient offense in any way. It was often bad, right? Particularly by design. So is their game plan to the Skarnecki route to say, either we run this offense that's pretty and built well, but if we can't run it, we'll ditch it, and we're going to have to run an offense that's broken by design. I, I, why would you choose either of those two worlds?
1: million-dollar question there. I mean, it's just <laughs> one that I wish I could answer, but it's, it's a whole world of bad right now.
0: Okay, um, let's wrap up with just uh, some quick talk on the second-year guys in general. I saw a thing you did recently, Um, talking about Jones, where I think you said that he was upper tier three in your mind and this season was about whether he could get to uh, the lower rung of tier two which would be like the natural progression of a a second year quarterback unless your name is Joe Burrow and you vault right to the top right? tier one uh, a freakish rise Um, where does that put him that upper tier three situation if that's still how you feel compared to Fields, Lawrence Lance, Wilson
1: yeah. I mean, I think like you said, like when you look at these second year quarterbacks last year, Jones was, you know, a couple of weeks where Davis Mill played, Mills played well, Jones was the best of the bunch because he was in the best environment. I mean, Wilson, they couldn't protect him. He was struggling. He was speeding things up. He was cut and drop short. He was madly inconsistent. After he came back from the injury, I thought he was a little bit better. He was calmer in the pocket, but, you know, there was some inconsistency there. Lawrence was in an absolute nightmare of a scenario, right? And it, it feels the situation wasn't that much better. And Lance played in limited action. I mean, it, it was almost kind of like by default where like, yeah, Jones made the playoffs, was in a good environment, had a great defense, was a solid run game, and played well. You know, this was the argument for Jones when you decided to draft him, right? He was going to be the guy early. But as so many people in the league have told me, and we've talked about this, they're all like, yeah, talk to me in year three, right? Talk to me in year five of Mac Jones. Uh, Matt Lombardo, who you know writes for Heavy.com, had a great piece where he talked to Jordan Palmer, It came out today as we're recording this about these year two quarterbacks, and he talked to sort of an unnamed executive, the old you know anonymous source. And you know, the quote on Matt Jones is, you know he's the same guy he was last year. He'll be the same guy 10 years from now. <laughs> the only reason he was a Pro Bowl type quarterback is because he has a hell of a running game, a hell of a defense, a hell of a team around him and the greatest coach ever to do that. You know, that's an unnamed NFC executive. But there's some truth to that. Like like the idea of what Jones' ceiling looks like, you know. And I think his ceiling is a little bit better than certainly this guy says it. Um, a little bit better than we thought it was going to be. But is his ceiling, say, bottom of tier two? Maybe. I think for a guy like Lawrence, for a guy like Lance, maybe even Fields and Wilson, their ceiling might still be a little bit higher than that.
0: I agree with that. I think you cap out at... Uh... Kirk Cousins who can throw again right. which is a really good player. I would like yeah. to have that player. Kirk Cousins is a good player. That's maybe he gets you to the top eight and you can win Super Bowls with the top eight. Yeah. Um, I, I really do enjoy the anonymous quotes for several reasons. When an executive talks about the team building aspect, I would like the follow-up of well, is the point to build a bad team and have Josh Allen bail you out, that is a great team, or you know, Justin Herbert in year one of Justin Herbert, or is right. it to build a good team to make it easy for the quarterback? I don't understand that. Um the other scenarios and other situations, and so what we're really saying is Mac Jones was the best last year. I, I, you know, the numbers suggest 12th in the league, right around there. Your tears, similar type thing. The other guys were all in pretty dreadful situations. Fields' situation to me got significantly worse somehow, because what is around him is just embarrassing. Um, they, it's almost like they're hanging him out to dry so they can the new brain trust can move on from him. Um, Lawrence, clearly a better situation though he's had his struggles. Wilson... A massively improved situation, but we we just do not know on the player. Lance, the dream scenario, right? The entire league has shifted to a point where, hey man, it's your time. If you yep. had come into the league three years ago, might have been in trouble. Right now, you are built for this thing. Let's go yep. get it, right? That's that's where the league's at. So, where are you kind of thinking about these guys? Even forget the rankings from like a, you know hot take point of view, just in terms of your fun and enjoyment and what you're looking forward to studying with these guys this year. How are you kind of divvying them up?
1: I mean, the the first two guys that I'll watch are going to be Lance and and Lawrence each week. But, you know, when I come downstairs Monday morning and turn on the All-22, like, those are the guys that I'm going to watch first because I think Lawrence is in such a great environment because he's under a guy that has an actual proven track record of quarterback development. Like, say whatever you want about Carson Wentz. 2017, Carson Wentz was playing at an MVP level before he got hurt, and it was under Doug Peterson. And when you look at what Peterson does conceptually, so quarterback friendly, like one of the, the better throws that Lawrence had against the Steelers was it was a mesh coupled with a sail. So basically you've got the initial mesh and that cross becomes the shallow on the sale. Like it's like two half field concepts that blend together into one. If he doesn't like that initial read, it's very quarterback friendly. And this is some of the vanilla stuff that they're showing right now. And so I think, when we start seeing what that offense really looks like, it's going to be great. And with Lance, it's the combination of – it's really the sort of macro question of what could this outside zone, boot action, Kyle Shanahan kind of offense look like when it's not a Cousins, a Garoppolo, or a Matt Ryan running it, when it's a guy like Trey Lance with the athleticism that he has. Like I, I think that's something that, you know, an underpinning of this entire discussion is we've seen what these offenses can and can't do. We've seen these kinds of systems sort of plateau. Yes, the Rams just won a Super Bowl, but they had the ability last year when they wanted to, to just say, forget it, we'll go five wide, we'll go empty. Matthew Stafford will, and McVay said when he traded for him, uh, he could fix things post snap. Like, that's why we went and got this guy. Nice little slap in the face to Jared Goff. But it's true. Like, they didn't have to rely on that system. We've seen this offensive system sometimes plateau in the hands of some quarterbacks that don't have an extra sort of elite trait to hand their hat on with Stafford. It's his arm and his aggression and his ability to break things down with his mind. Well, Lance, it might be his arm plus his athleticism. What does this offense look like in his hands? Like, so yeah, those are the two guys that when it's Monday morning, when it's, you know, the middle of October, when it's still dark out and you're coming downstairs to start working for the day, those are the guys I'm turning on first. With Lawrence,
0: how much do you want to see it being quick game with the flash fake, either RPOs or play action, and how much do you want the deep drop, Bruce Arians, let's drive the ball down the field? Because his archetype is that latter one, right? You think of the the look style of offensive, and that's where he's at his best, getting aggressive down the field. You kind of combine that with what Peterson did at the end of the run in Philadelphia, which was mostly by necessity rather than what he'd really done before and did brilliantly and probably, we're talking about catching on the right time of the evolutionary cycle, right? He got another time where NFL defenses didn't know what an RPO right. was somehow and now they they all crushed that stuff, right? So how much do you want to see of more prototypical, traditional, drop-back NFL football, which is where, where people are so excited about in pre drive and just to make life easier on him, bringing in some of this more uh, quicker hitting, flash fake, get the ball out one step stuff that Peterson has done so well before.
1: You know, I it, it's a kind of a cop out answer to say I want to see a balance between the two. Um, because look, I, I think one of the reasons why I had Lawrence won that draft cycle was because I think he could run almost any offense. I mean, one of the more mind blowing things that was ever said to me about Lawrence was I was doing a show with Matt Waldman studying him, before, you know, before his final season at Clemson. And Matt was like, he could run the Baltimore offense that they have with Lamar Jackson because he's a good runner, too. And it was something I had never even thought of. Now, obviously, you're not going to do that with him, but he's a very scheme-diverse quarterback. Like, I think his ideal set is the sort of Arians, like, let's push it downfield, deep drops and all that stuff. I don't know if they have the personnel up front, let alone in the receiver room, for that to be effective. And so I think they need to work in some stuff where it's quick hitters, it's flash fakes and get the ball out. It's crossers, it's mesh. It's the things that, you know, we've seen Peterson and other coaches do to sort of prop up the offense and get the ball out of the quarterback's hands and get some favorable situations for receivers. So I think they need to have that as a big part of what they do. But at the same time, as we talked about a little bit earlier, deep outs, corner outs, things like that, he throws them extremely well. Like he had one throw against the Steelers and I know he's a bit inconsistent in that game. But he had three great throws on deep out routes. One where, you know, it's a cover three look, and he's got to get it over the curl flat defender in front of the corner and just puts it in there perfectly. Like, I want him to have those opportunities, but I think you also need that quick hitter stuff to keep him upright, to keep him moving, you know, to keep that offense on schedule.
0: The idealized version for me would be the Packers offense from last year. Now, yeah. I've just written about this in terms of Devontae leaving. So much of that was they had so much reputational advantage because people were terrified of Devontae Adams. I don't know you could replicate that, pick it up and drop it anywhere else in the league. But them having the ability to constantly just play spray football, right? We're playing spread option, spread the ball out football. They had a ton of RPO actions in there that I'm not even sure were truly RPOs, but they kind of had right. a team. Uh, cross and moving elements and then they get heavy to take shots right because they know people are counting as Devonte for two so you get the big bodies on the field they've got to change the formation themselves on defense and now we can take our shot plays that to me will be the idealized version for lawrence where you are innately building in through bigger personnel the time he will need to do what he does best and you're just keeping the ball ticking along by playing smash mouth spread offense
1: yeah I mean, I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, I think that would be an ideal sort of situation. I mean, sort of like one of the questions is, do they have the personnel to do that? I mean, I know, look, I, I like a lot of the additions that they made. I was somebody that actually liked the Christian Kirk acquisition. I thought it made sense because a lot of what Peterson's offense does conceptually is vertical through the slot receiver position. And that's that's his strength. That's his game. Evan Ingram, like – uh, do you want Evan Ingram on the field as much as possible? Dan Arnold, I mean Luke Farrell, like the tight Arnold, ends are a question mark.
0: Dan Arnold, they were high on they. Tra- Dan Arnold was in a trade, and they were yeah. pumping that chest out. They got Dan Arnold. He best be good. <laughs> that's yeah,
1: a- I mean, the, the tight end is a, I mean, I know we're doing this on Wednesday, and there are some Mike Jacek rumblings out there. But like, he's a slot receiver. Like, he's not really a tight end. Like, you know, that's sort of you know the personnel aspect to it. But I think conceptually. You schematically, you're absolutely 100% right about what this offense should look like. Just lastly, then, on what you said about
0: Lance before in terms of what they're going to run, it's the big thing that, and the audience will be bored of me talking about it, but they'll want to hear you talk about it, is this thing of, you know, they moved the offense last year already. They they were way more of a gap-scheme-oriented offense. It was all the toss-and-crack stuff with people moving as opposed to the toss zone that they'd become kind of synonymous for. How much of the offense keeps that, and is there gamble... Because uh, the, the the explanation I've used before is Lafleur changed his offense right to that kind of smash mouth spread we described. McVeigh, you mentioned they just went empty super spread offense, playing point guard football with our quarterback, because Our quarterbacks elite. The question for Shanahan was always: I drafted Trey Lance. That was my that was my answer to the question of the too deep, too deep and rotate defenses. Well, is the real answer we're moving to the pistol, which they showed in the Arizona game, or is the real answer that we think the the athleticism alone completely radically changes the dynamic of the boot action game. Some of the stuff that's being built in, you cannot properly slow because we've never seen a power runner, Cam Newton, not quite that physical as a runner, but Cam Newton in the wide zone, then boot offense. And you can blend that with the pistol. That's the beauty of having the pistol as the, meet, the middle meeting point. Is that the which one of those two strands do you think they lean into most, or do they just juggle week to week depending on the matchup?
1: You know, I, I think given the background of Shanahan and given the quarterbacks that have been in this offense with him, I think he's going to lead into the athleticism portion of it, you know, because I think there is an idea and it's an idea that I think been in everybody's mind of, you know, if you're that curl flat defender on boot action and you've got cousins or Ryan or Garoppolo kind of coming your way, you're not too worried about that. It's different when it's Trey Lance, like in the back of your mind, you're thinking this guy's going to tuck it and run. Like, I might have to stick a little closer to the line of scrimmage, and maybe I want to. I can't get depth and really help out what's going on behind me. You creep downhill a little bit, and he throws it over your head. I I think Shanahan now has the one piece to his offense that he's never really had, which is a quarterback of Lance's athleticism. So I think he's going to lead into that as much as possible. Now, he's, he's no dummy. You know, if it turns out that, like, the athleticism we're seeing on the defensive side of the ball are able to sort of contain that a little bit. Then he might go and say, look, we'll do it with pistol. We'll do it with other things. We'll, we'll tweak it a little bit. But I think that's his plan A, is that Lance's athleticism is going to unlock portions of my playbook, unlock things conceptually that I really couldn't do too much with the guys that I've had in this system before
0: All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Read Optional Podcast. Mark Schofield, people can go and find you on Twitter at Mark Schofield. That's the central hub to go find all the writing, all the talking that Mark does. He does lots of it. He does it all very,
1: very well. Mark, thank you for doing this. Thank you, my friend. Always a blast. Look forward to doing it again soon.